0: Well, about 15 years ago, when I was a rowdy, red-headed 13-year-old, some would say I still am, by the way, um, I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I've had the privilege of sharing that story over the past few weeks with the Ordination Council and other things. It was at this event put on by Word of Life Ministries out of upstate New York, um, and it was an all-nighter event for youth. And so there, there was a hockey game, and then there was all of these activities, and pizza. Of course, there was pizza. But the catch was that between the hockey game and all those other things, there was an evangelist, so there was a speaker. And I had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, had been baptized as an infant, um, been through catechism and confirmation and all that, And I had just started attending this non-denominational Bible church, had been there for a few months. But it wasn't until then that I truly understood what Jesus did for me. And so I can remember that evening when I made the decision to become a Christian, to place my trust in Jesus, and I met with a counselor and and, and we talked about the decision, and it was just a really memorable experience. But I didn't begin to grow in my faith until at least a few months later. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but back then, 15 years ago, I guess, in the spring... The ladies from our church, and I'm not trying to be offensive, it was the ladies, my mom and some of her friends, they would get these catalogs from Christian book distributors, from Lifeway Publishing, and there would be this, this knockout sale in the spring, this Christian book sale. And so it was, it was a part of the year that, that they would look forward to, and my mom knew that I'd made this decision to accept Jesus, and so as part of her order that year, she purchased, for me, my own Bible. She got me an NIV life application study Bible with uh, kind of the fake leather and with my name printed. Um, And I actually have that Bible right here. I was not much of a reader as a 13-year-old. But friends, when when I got this book, and we're talking 2,000-plus pages, maps, study notes, I read it cover to cover within months. I, I couldn't get enough of this book. It was unlike anything I had ever read before. And I would spend hours, for some reason, meditating on these texts, thinking about them, chewing on them, and it, it, it utterly transformed my life. You can even ask Danielle uh, about the shift that happened in my personality when I started to really take the Scriptures seriously. They exerted uh, an enormous impact on my life. So it's then that I started to really grow as a Christian. And ever since then, the Scriptures have been the primary vehicle of spiritual growth in my life. I became obsessed with the scriptures, and so after high school, I knew I needed to study them more, so I applied to Bible college in Chicago. At the end of my 120 credit hours there, I knew that I needed more, so I applied to graduate school to do a theology degree in biblical studies. And I still hadn't had enough, and so I accepted the call here to love the scriptures in public for a living which some have said is what pastoral ministry is. And so, friends, the Scriptures have been utterly life-giving, at least for me. This morning, uh, the letter we're going to be looking at is Paul's second letter to Timothy. And believe it or not, friends, this is the last sermon of our Great Commission series, which began in January, the last sermon So Timothy, in case you forgot, is in leadership, pastoral leadership in Ephesus, the capital of this Roman province of Asia, a bustling city, and false teaching was a big problem as it was in many of the other cities in the Mediterranean. Paul had been released from prison in Rome and went about to visit other churches, but here he's in prison again, and he would not escape from this cell. So Paul is languishing in a prison cell in Rome, thinking about his son in the faith, Timothy, wondering what to write, what to tell him before he is executed, which was imminent. In 2 Timothy, we read about the calling upon Timothy's life, this threat of false teaching, but toward the end of the letter, we see that Paul urges Timothy, as he walks forward in ministry, potentially without Paul, he urges him to rely on the life-giving foundational texts which Timothy has known from his youth. I think it's fitting that I'm able to preach this letter today as I look forward in a few months to my Paul, Mike, who's usually sitting there, my Paul, not being executed, hopefully, um, but, but leaving, I find myself in a place where I too need encouragement as I walk forward in ministry and in leadership without my mentor. So it's striking to me how similar our experiences are, and so it's my joy this morning to preach from 2 Timothy chapter 3. So that is our text this morning, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. I invite you to turn there if you haven't already. Um, You can turn there in the Bibles in the pew. I'll be reading from the ESV, which is what those are. And as you are able, friends, would you stand for the reading of God's word? 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 14. Paul says, But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You may be seated. The scriptures are invaluable for four reasons that are presented here. First, they are capable of leading you to salvation. They are full of divine life, they're useful in the difficult tasks of ministry, and they equip the people of God. My hope this morning, through this single message, is to convince you, as if you need convincing, to convince you of the invaluable nature of Scripture in the Christian life. That's one. Secondly though I want to move you in a visceral emotional way to move you to appreciate the dynamic life-giving agency of the scriptures themselves okay that is my task this morning very ambitious I know but before we dive into that let's take a moment to pray would you pray with me lord i am forever grateful for these pages, for these words that are dripping with divine life, dripping with your spirit. Thank you so much for this book. that has become the focal point of my life, the means through which I encounter Jesus. I pray, too, that these people today and in the future would encounter the risen Lord through these texts. May this morning be a move in that direction. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's always good to read scripture in context, especially uh, a scripture about scripture. So that's what I'm gonna do here. Uh, let me just say a few words about the letter as a whole. So 1 Timothy consists of six chapters, um, and 2 Timothy is a bit shorter, consists of four. Um, But you can divide 2 Timothy into roughly two sections. So the first two chapters, and I've alluded to this, uh, focus on Timothy's call to pastoral ministry. So Paul reminds Timothy of this momentous, seismic, serious call upon his life to function as a shepherd of the flock of God, lead his church. And we see this imagery of athletic metaphors or metaphors of a farmer or a laborer really trying to motivate Timothy to accept his calling, okay, to remember his calling. In the second half of the letter related to this, Paul elaborates on the situation in Ephesus, which was rife with false teaching. And so after convincing Timothy of the importance of his calling, he urges Timothy to faithfully combat and navigate the false teaching that was running rampant in Ephesus. So first, he urges Timothy to accept his calling, and then he implores Timothy to deal with the corrupt leaders in his midst. Now, we should look at the verses immediately preceding our passage, since our text uh, concludes the third chapter in 2 Timothy, So if you turn there uh, to chapter 3, verse 1, you'll see that Paul describes in detail this situation of difficulty and of uh, false and corrupted leadership, which relates to the message I preached two weeks ago in 1 Timothy. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He says, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, slanderous, unappeasable, etc. Now friends, I don't think Paul is just talking about those outside the church. I think he's talking to Timothy in leadership, saying that, that the people out there and in here will start to slide in this direction. Watch out. He then talks about the false teachers or corrupt leaders who are kind of leading the people in this direction. Verse 5 and 6 says, Such persons have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Avoid them. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. They are deceptive. They're always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, and so forth. But then in verse 10, he says, But you, Timothy, luckily, thanks be to God, haven't followed in their footsteps. You, on the other hand, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, patience, love, steadfastness. He then goes on in verse 14 to use similar language, saying, But as for you, Timothy... In contrast to these corrupt leaders, you are to minister in this way, and here's how you're going to do it. So in our passage, Paul urges Timothy to continue in faithful ministry by relying chiefly on the Holy Scriptures. So let's jump in then at 2 Timothy 3, I'll say 14a. How about that? 14a. Paul says, but you, but as for you in the ESV, but but you, Timothy, you are to remain in, continue in, or get this, abide in that which you have learned and believed. This verb translated continue in," in, verse 14, is used often in John's gospel and in his letters to refer to abiding in Christ, which Mike has talked about. The idea is uh, captured in this image of the vine and the branches, John 15, where the branches have to rely on and be uh, interwoven with the vine for their life, their sustenance. Paul is saying to Timothy, "You, you need to do the same thing with your life and not Christ explicitly here, but that which you have learned and believed. You must steep yourself in, abide in, tie yourself up in the things that you've learned and believed. This verb for learn is related to the noun for disciple. Steep yourself in the things you've been discipled in. And then the second verb is uh, to put faith in or trust in Christ. So first we have an overarching command for Timothy in ministry, he's to steep himself in that which he has learned and believed. Well, then in verse 14b through 15a, I know weird divisions, here Paul presents an invaluable resource for Timothy in ministry. He defines what it is that he's learned and believed describing exactly what it is, encouraging Timothy to engage wholeheartedly in such things. He says, Abide in what you've learned and believed, knowing, verse 14b, knowing from whom you learned it, that from an early age, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, Timothy if you recall, uh, is the son of a Jewish woman, Eunice, whose mother, Lois, of course, was also Jewish. But Timothy's father, as we read in Acts, was Greek. But it seems that even half-Jewish boys in the first century would have received instruction in Torah, or the Hebrew scriptures, from, get this, age five. That's what the sources say, age five. So Timothy has been instructed by his mother and his grandmother in the Hebrew scriptures. This is just the Old Testament from age five. He's been acquainted with the sacred writings from an early age, and Paul is exhorting Timothy to remember, remember those texts that have been with you all along. Here he presents an invaluable resource that Timothy can hold on to as he ministers in Paul's absence. And through the rest of our passage, friends, what we have are four reasons why the scriptures are invaluable. So let's jump in with the first reason, and that comes in 15b. So Paul says, rely on these texts, texts which are able to which have the power to make you wise for salvation through the faith that is in Messiah Jesus. Friends, the first descriptor of Scripture here is that it is able to do things. This is the verb duname. For Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. That's the word, power. The scriptures have the power to do things, namely to make you wise for salvation through the faith that is in Messiah Jesus. I think what Paul is saying to Timothy is that when you read the texts that you've known since age five, when you read them with an awareness that Jesus of Nazareth is the long awaited Messiah, when you read those texts with, with that awareness, those texts can lead you to salvation. The first reason why the scriptures are invaluable to Timothy in ministry is that they can lead the reader to salvation, friends. That's reason number one. The second reason comes in verse 16a. And let me just say, this is one of the most notoriously difficult to interpret verses in the entire Christian Bible. It has been called a a crux interpretum, which in Latin means a cross for interpreters, kind of like a bane for interpreters, it's that hard. Often this verse has been tortured, is the language I see in the commentaries, wrung out, just interpreters have their way with this text because it seems to help construct a a doctrine of inspiration or a doctrine of Scripture. And so sometimes folks read it with with such a theological agenda that it's hard for them to see how it fits in Paul's flow of thought. And so this morning I have no intention of denying the doctrine of inspiration, but what I do want us to do is read this as part of a first-century piece of mail that Paul wrote to help Timothy in ministry rather than assuming all of this uh, theological content and and misreading it along the way, okay? What it says here is that not only is Scripture invaluable because it can lead you to salvation, but it's also invaluable because all Scripture is theopneustos. That's the word. This is the only time this word occurs in the entire Bible, and it rarely occurs in other Greek literature, okay? This is an extremely difficult word to interpret because it is so rare, and we don't find other examples of its usage, especially in Scripture. The word is a compound word, theopneustos, which consists of the word theos, God, and pnao, which means to blow, not to but to to exhale, to blow. So the most literal way to to take this would be a hyphenated word, God-breathing, okay? God-breathing. Now what we have here is all Scripture, there's no word is, we just have all Scripture, God-breathing. And we have to figure out what that means. Now the ESV is the only translation to say breathed out by God, So they are taking God as the subject who exhales the scripture into being, that kind of idea. Now, the NIV and I think the ISV go with God-breathed, a hyphenated word, but most English translations say inspired by God. Now, to inspire is a compound word, in and spire, which is a Latin word meaning breathe. To respire, to inspire, it's to breathe into something. And so the idea is either that God has breathed out the scriptures, or he's breathed into the scriptures, or that the scriptures breathe out God. I recently read an entire book on this one word, and he looks at every other use of the word in other Greek literature. And friends, every time it's used in the first century B.C. and the first century A.D., it carries that latter meaning. It's often used of sacred waters, ointments, or religious practices that would breathe the breath of life into the participant. So by engaging in these practices, you would receive healing, maybe fertility, energy, spiritual motivation, that kind of thing. I'm not trying to persuade you toward that interpretation, but friends, I think that that fits really well with the flow of thought here. Scripture is invaluable because it is so full of God's breath, his life, his spirit, that when you read the scriptures with the eyes of faith, God breathes the breath of life into you. Friends, that's that's what I felt when I first read the Scriptures. I think an effect of this idea of inspiration, of God breathing into these texts, is that the texts breathe God's breath into us. Active. That's enough on that. The third reason why the Scriptures are invaluable come in verse 16b. They can lead you to salvation, They are full of divine life. And it says that they are useful for four things. Useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, paideia, training from last week, in righteousness. All I'll say here, this is what's called a a chiastic structure. So the, the first and last items are related, and the middle items are related. So teaching and training... Uh, That is a very important part of pastoral ministry, especially in the context of false teaching, and reproof and correction is also a very vital part of Timothy's ministry. Paul is saying to Timothy, you can hold on to these God-breathed, God-breathing texts. They will help you in your ministry. They're invaluable in all of those difficult tasks you find yourself in as a pastor. The fourth reason and final reason why scriptures are invaluable come in verse 17. Now Paul has said everything he said thus far in verses 14 through 16. Steep yourself in these texts. They can lead you to salvation. They're full of God's spirit, his breath. They help you in ministry. And ultimately, with the result that, the man of God, which here means the Christian leader, someone like you, Timothy, with the result that the man of God be complete, equipped for every task of ministry. If Timothy steeps his being in the Scriptures, as Paul is commanding, over time, he will be fully equipped to carry out whatever it is he has to carry out in ministry. What strikes me about this passage, friends, is that the scriptures are described in active, dynamic, subjective ways. They're not referred to as a lifeless set of documents that's kept in the back of the library, preserved. They're they're spoken of as kind of an organism. Organism. The Scriptures are able to do things. The Scriptures are God-breathing, potentially. They're useful for all of these tasks in ministry, and they equip. These are all active verbs. Friends, this is exactly how I've experienced the Scriptures in my life. As something living, something active, something with a mind of its own. Is this how you think about scriptures as you engage them in the mornings or on Sundays? Do you think of them as something living, dynamic, that that penetrates into your heart, that gives you guidance right now in the situations that you'll face? Or do you tend to think of them as old, fixed, kind of lifeless, historical documents. I'm not saying you do, but this passage, friends, beckons us to see the Scriptures in a new light. The Scriptures, as we see here, are vital, then, for four reasons. It says they're capable of leading you to salvation, They're full of divine life. They're useful in the difficult tasks of ministry, and they equip the people of God. In other words, the Scriptures are invaluable. Invaluable. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your holy sacred scriptures, for these writings that teem with divine life, Lord. This is a book that is living, a book that is powerful, a book that can utterly transform our lives if we let it. Father, I'm so encouraged by this congregation and their appetite for Scripture. I pray that as I go forth in ministry, trying to lead this flock, that you would help me, like Timothy, to rely on these sacred texts, Lord. And I pray that we all would depend on these texts, studying them, grappling with them together, in conversation with the issues that face us on a daily basis, Lord. But may these texts lead us into your presence, and Lord, would you breathe your divine breath into us. We pray that you'd be with us as we continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.